Chapter 11 of The Inimitable Jeeves. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Vijeta Sharma. The Inimitable Jeeves by P.G. Woodhouse. Chapter 11 Comrade Bingo. The thing really started in the park, at the marble arch end, where weird birds of every description collect on Sunday afternoons and stand on soap boxes and make speeches. It isn't often you'll find me there, but it so happened that on the Sabbath, after my return to the good old metro, I had a call to pay in Manchester Square and, taking a stroll round in that direction, so as not to arrive too early, I found myself right in the middle of it. Now that the empire is in the place it was, I always think the park on a Sunday is the centre of London, if you know what I mean. I mean to say that's the spot that makes the returned exile really sure he's back again. After what you might call my enforced sojourn in New York, I am bound to say that I stood there fairly lapping it all up. It did me good to listen to the lads giving tongue and realise that all had ended happily and Bertram was home again. On the edge of the mob, farthest away from me, a gang of top-hatted chappies was starting an open-air missionary service near at hand, an atheist was letting himself go with a good deal of whim, though handicapped by a bit of having no roof to his mouth, while in front of me there stood a little group of serious thinkers with a banner labelled Heralds of the Red Dawn. And as I came up, one of the heralds, a bearded egg in a slouch hat and a tweed suit, was slipping it into the idle ditch with such breath and vigour that I paused for a moment to get an earful. While I was standing there, somebody spoke to me. Mr. Wooster, surely! Stout chappy. Couldn't place him for a second. Then I got him. Bingo Little's uncle, the one I had lunch with at the time when young Bingo was in love with that waitress at the Piccadilly bun shop. No wonder I hadn't recognised him at first. When I had seen him last, he had been a rather sloppy old gentleman coming down to lunch. I remember in carpet slippers and a velvet smoking jacket. Whereas now, dapper simply wasn't the word. He absolutely gleamed in the sunlight in a silk hat, morning coat, lavender spats and sponge back trousers as now worn. Dressy to a degree. Oh, hallo, I said, going strong. I'm in excellent health. I thank you. And you? In the pink. Just been over to America. Ah, collecting local colour for one of your delightful romances? Eh, I had to think a bit before I got on to what he meant. Oh, no, I said. Just felt I needed a change. Seen anything of bingo lately? I asked quickly, being desirous of heading the old thing off 
what you might call the literary side of my life. Bingo, your nephew. Oh, Richard, no, not very recently. Since my marriage, our little coolness seems to have sprung up. Sorry to hear that. So you married since I saw you. What? Mrs. Little, all right? My wife is happily robust, but er, uh, not Mrs. Little. Since we last met, a gracious sovereign has been pleased to bestow on me a signal mark of his favour in the shape of uh, a peerage. On the publication of the last honours list, I became Lord Bittlesham. By job, really, I say, heartiest congratulations. That's the stuff to give the troops what? Lord Bittlesham, I said. Why, you are the owner of Ocean Breeze. Yes, marriage has enlarged my horizon in many directions. My wife is interested in horse racing and I now maintain a small stable. I understand that Ocean Breeze is fancied, as I am told, the expression is, for a race which will take place at the end of the month at Goodwood, the Duke of Richmond's seat in Sussex. The Goodwood Cup, rather, I have got my chemise on it for one. Indeed! Well, I trust the animal will justify your confidence. I know little of these matters myself, but my wife tells me that it is regarded in knowledgeable circles as what I believe is termed a snip. At this moment, I suddenly noticed that the audience was gazing in our direction with a good deal of interest, and I saw that the bearded chappie was pointing at us. Yes, look at them. Drink them in. He was yelling, his voice rising above the perpetual motion fellows and beating the missionary service all to nothing. There you see two typical members of the class which has downtrodden the poor for centuries. Idlers, non-producers. Look at the tall, thin one with the face like a motor mascot. Has he ever done an honest day's work in his life? No, a prowler, a tripler and a bloodsucker. And I bet he still owes his tailor for those trousers. He seemed to me to be verging on the personal and I didn't think a lot of it. Old Bittlesham, on the other hand, was pleased and amused. A great gift of expression these fellows have, he chuckled. Very trenchant. And the fat one, proceeded the chappie. Don't miss him. Do you know who that is? That's Lord Bittlesham, one of the worst. What has he ever done except eat four square meals a day? His god is his belly and his sacrifices burnt offerings to it. If you opened that man now, you would find enough lunch to support ten working class families for a week. You know, that's rather well put, I said, but the old boy didn't seem to see it. He had turned a brightish magenta and was bubbling like a kettle on the boil. Come away, Mr. Wooster, he said. I am the last man to oppose the right of free speech, but I refuse 
to listen to this vulgar abuse any longer. We legged it with quiet dignity, the chappie pursuing us with his foul innuendos to the last. Dashed embarrassing. Next day, I looked in at the club and found young Bingo in the smoking room. Hello, Bingo, I said, toddling over to his corner full of bonhomie, for I was glad to see the chump. How's the boy? Jogging along? I saw your uncle yesterday. Young Bingo unleashed a grin that split his face in half. I know you did, you trifler. Well, sit down, old tiling, and suck a bit of blood. How's the prowling these days? Good Lord, you weren't there. Yes, I was. I didn't see you. Yes, you did. But perhaps you didn't recognize me in the shrubbery. The shrubbery? The beard, my boy. Worth every penny I paid for it. Defies detection. Of course, it's a nuisance having people shouting Beaver! at you all the time. But once got to put up with that. I goggled at him. I don't understand. It's a long story. Have a martini or a small gore and soda and I'll tell you all about it. Before we start, give me your honest opinion. Isn't she the most wonderful girl you ever saw in your puff? He had produced a photograph from somewhere, like a conjurer taking a rabbit out of a hat, and was waving it in front of me. It appeared to be a female of sorts, all eyes and teeth. Oh, great Scott, I said. Don't tell me you are in love again. He seemed aggrieved. What do you mean, again? Well, to my certain knowledge, you've been in love with at least half a dozen girls since the spring, and it's only July now. There was that waitress and Honoria Glossop and... Oh, Tush, not to say pish. Those girls, mere passing fancies. This is the real thing. Where did you meet her? On top of a bus. Her name is Charlotte Corday Robotham. My God. It's not her fault, poor child. Her father had her christened that because he is all for the revolution. And it seems that the original Charlotte Corday used to go about stabbing oppressors in their baths, which entitles her to consideration and respect. You must meet old Robotham, Bertie, a delightful chap, wants to massacre the bourgeoisie, sack Park Lane, and disembowel the hereditary aristocracy. Well, nothing could be fairer than that. What? But about Charlotte. We were on top of the bus and it started to rain. I offered her my umbrella and we chatted of this and that. I fell in love and got her a dress. And a couple of days later, I bought the beard and toddled round and met the family. But why the beard? Well, she had told me all about her father on the bus. And I saw that to get any footing at all in the home, 
I should have to join these red dawn blighters. And naturally, if I was to make speeches in the park, where at any moment I might run into a dozen people I knew, something in the nature of a disguise was indicated. So I bought the beard and, by Jove, old boy, I've become dashed attached to the thing. When I take it off to come in here, for instance, I feel absolutely nude. It's done me a lot of good with old Robotham. He thinks I'm a Bolshevist of sorts who has to go about disguised because of the police. You really must meet old Robotham, Bertie. I tell you what, are you doing anything tomorrow afternoon? Nothing special. Why? Good. Then you can have us all to tea at your flat. I had promised to take the crowd to Lyon's popular cafe after a meeting we are holding down in Lambeth. But I can save money this way. And believe me, laddie, nowadays, as far as I'm concerned, a penny saved is a penny earned. My uncle told you he'd got married? Yes, and he said there was a coolness between you. Coolness? I'm down to zero. Ever since he married, he's been launching out in every direction and economizing on me. I suppose that peerage cost the old devil the deuce of a sum. Even baronetcies have gone up frightfully nowadays, I'm told. And he started a racing stable. By the way, put your last caller start on Ocean Breeze for the Goodwood Cup. It's a cert. I'm going to. It can't lose. I mean to win enough on it to marry Charlotte with. You are going to Goodwood, of course. Rather, so are we. We are holding a meeting on Cup Day just outside the paddock. But I say, aren't you taking frightful risks? Your uncle's sure to be at Goodwood. Suppose he spots you. He'll be fed to the gills if he finds out that you are the fellow who ragged him in the park. How the deuce is he to find out? Use your intelligence, you prowling inhaler of red corpuscles. If he didn't spot me yesterday, why should he spot me at good wood? Well, thanks for your cordial invitation for tomorrow, old thing. We shall be delighted to accept. Do us well, laddie. And blessings shall reward you. By the way, I may have myselled you by using the word tea. None of your wafer slices of bread and butter. We are good Frenchmen, we of the revolution. What we shall require will be something on the order of scrambled eggs, muffins, jam, ham, cake and sardines. Expect us at five sharp. But I say, I'm not quite sure. Yes, you are, silly ass. Don't you see that this is going to do you a bit of good when the revolution breaks loose? When you see old Robotham sprinting up Piccadilly with a dripping knife in each hand, you'll be jolly thankful to be able to remind him that he once ate your tea and shrimps. There will be four of us, Charlotte, Sel, the old man and Comrade Bud. I suppose he will insist on coming along. Who the devil's comrade but? Did you notice a fellow standing on my left in our little troop yesterday? 
small shriveled chap looks like a haddock with lung trouble that's bad my rival dash him he is sort of semi engaged to charlotte at the moment till i came along he was the blue eyed boy he's got a voice like a foghorn and wrote rapotum thinks a lot of him but hang it if i can't thoroughly encompass this butt and cut him out and put him where he belongs among the discards well i'm not the man i was that's all he may have a big voice but he hasn't my gift of expression thank heaven i was once cox of my college boat well i must be pushing now i say you don't know how i could raise 50 quid somehow do you why don't you work work said young bingo surprised what me no i shall have to think of some way i must put at least 50 on ocean breeze well see you tomorrow god bless you old sort and don't forget the muffins i don't know why ever since i first knew him at school i should have felt a rummy feeling of responsibility for young bingo i mean to say he's not my son thank goodness or my brother or anything like that he's got absolutely no claim on me at all and yet a large sized chunk of my existence seems to be spent in fussing over him like a bally old hen and hauling him out of the soup i suppose it must be some rare beauty in my nature or something at any rate this latest affair of his worried me he seemed to be doing his best to marry into a family of pronounced loonies and how the deuce he thought he was going to support even a mentally afflicted wife on nothing a year beat me old bitterchamp was bound to knock off his allowance if he did anything of the sort and with a fellow like young bingo if you knocked off his allowance you might just as well hit him on the head with an axe and make a clean job of it jeeves i said when i got home i'm worried sir about mr little i won't tell you about it now because he is bringing some friends of his to tea tomorrow and then you will be able to judge for yourself i want you to observe closely jeeves and form your decision very good sir and about the tea get in some muffins yes sir and some jam ham cake scrambled eggs and five or six wagon loads of sardines sardines sir said jeeves with a shudder sardines there was an awkward pause don't blame me jeeves i said it isn't my fault no sir well that's that yes sir i could see the man was brooding tensely i found as a general rule in life that the things you think are going to be the scaliest nearly always turn out not so bad after all but it wasn't that way with bingo's tea party from the moment he invited himself i felt that the thing was going to be blue round the edges and it was and i think the most gruesome part of the whole affair was the fact 
that for the first time since I'd known him, I saw Jeeves come very near to being rattled. I suppose there's a chink in everyone's armour, and young Bingo found Jeeves right at the drop of the flag when he breezed in with six inches or so of brown beard hanging on to his chin. I had forgotten to warn Jeeves about the beard, and it came on him absolutely out of a blue sky. I saw the man's jaw drop, and he clutched at the table for support. I don't blame him, mind you. Few people have ever looked fouler than young Bingo in the fungus. Jeeves paled a little, then the weakness passed, and he was himself again. But I could see that he had been shaken. Young Bingo was too busy introducing the mob to take much notice. They were a very C3 collection. Comrade Butt looked like one of the tilings that come out of dead trees after the rain. Moth-eaten was the word I should have used to describe old Robotham. And as for Charlotte, she seemed to take me straight into another and a dreadful world. It wasn't that she was exactly bad-looking, in fact, if she had knocked off starchy foods and done Swedish exercises for a bit, she might have been quite tolerable. But there was too much of her. Belowy curves, when nourished, perhaps, expresses best. And, while she may have had a heart of gold, the thing you noticed about her first was that she had a tooth of gold. I know that young Bingo when in form, could fall in love with practically anything of the other sex. But this time, I couldn't see any excuse for him at all. My friend, Mr. Wooster, said Bingo, completing the ceremonial. Old Robotham looked at me and then he looked round the room, and I could see he wasn't particularly praised. There's nothing of absolutely oriental luxury about the old flat, but I have managed to make myself fairly comfortable, and I suppose the surroundings jarred him a bit. Mr. Wooster, said old Robotham, may I say, Comrade Wooster? I beg your pardon? Are you of the movement? Well, er, do you yearn for the revolution? Well, I don't know that I exactly yearn. I mean to say, as far as I can make out, the whole hub of the scheme seems to be to massacre cubs like me. And I don't mind owning I'm not frightfully keen on the idea. But I'm taking him round, said Bingo. I'm wrestling with him. A few more treatments ought to do the trick. Old Robotham looked at me a bit doubtfully. Comrade Little has great eloquence, he admitted. I think he talks something wonderful, said the girl, and young Bingo shot a glance of such succulent devotion at her that I reeled in my tracks. It seemed to depress Comrade Butt a good deal too. He scowled at the carpet and said something about dancing on volcanoes. Tea is served, sir, said Chiefs. Tea, pa, said Charlotte, starting at the word, like the old war horse who hears the buggle, and we got down to it. 
Funny how one changes as the years roll on. At school, I remember, I would cheerfully have sold my soul for scrambled eggs and sardines at five in the afternoon. But somehow, since reaching man's estate, I had rather dropped out of the habit, and I'm bound to admit I was appalled to a goodish extent at the way the sons and daughter of the revolution shoved their heads down and went for the foodstuffs. Even Comrade Bat cast off his gloom for a space and immersed his whole being in scrambled eggs, only coming to the surface at intervals to grab another cup of tea. Presently, the hot water gave out and I turned to Jeeves. More hot water. Very good, sir. Hey, what's this? What's this? Old Robotham had lowered his cup and was eyeing us sternly. He tapped Jeeves on the shoulder. No servility, my lad, no servility. I beg your pardon, sir. Don't call me sir, call me comrade. Do you know what you are, my lad? You are an absolute relic of an exploded feudal system. Very good, sir. If there's one thing that makes my blood boil in my veins. Have another sardine, chipped in young Bingo, the first sensible thing he'd done since I had known him. Old Robotham took three and dropped the subject, and Jeeves drifted away. I could see by the look of his back what he felt. At last, just as I was beginning to feel that it was going on forever, the thing finished. I woke up to find the party getting ready to leave. Sardines and about three quarters of tea had mellowed old Robotham. There was quite a genial look in his eye as he shook my hand. I must thank you for your hospitality, comrade Wooster, he said. Oh, not at all. Only too glad. Hospitality, started the man, but going off in my ear like a depth charge. He was scowling in a morose sort of manner at young Bingo and the girl who were giggling together by the window. I wonder the food didn't turn to ashes in our mouths. Eggs, muffins, sardines, all wrung from the bleeding lips of the starving poor. Oh, I say, what a beastly idea. I will send you some literature on the subject of the cause, said old Robotham. And soon, I hope, we shall see you at one of our little meetings. Jeeves came in to clear away and found me sitting among the ruins. It was all very well for Comrade Butt to knock the food, but he had pretty well finished the ham, and if you had shot the remainder of the jam into the bleeding lips of the starving poor, it would hardly have made them sticky. Well, Jeeves, I said, how about it? I would prefer to express no opinion, sir. Jeeves, Mr. Little is in love with that female. So I gathered, sir, she was slapping him in the passage. I clutched my brow. Slapping him? Yes, sir, roguishly. Great Scott, 
I didn't know it had got as far as that. How did Comrade Butt seem to be taking it? Or perhaps he didn't see. Yes, sir. He observed the entire proceedings. He struck me as extremely jealous. I don't blame him, Jeeves. What are we to do? I could not say, sir. It's a bit thick. Very much so, sir. And that was all the consolation I got from Jeeves. End of Comrade Bingo Recorded by Vijeta Sharma